Welcome back to Wednesday and to our walk through the Bible in the order in which the books were written. And here we are in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 32. And we're going to call this the return of Peter. The book of Acts has been mainly about Peter and John and a few stories around them. And then we saw Stephen in that incredible sermon in chapter 7, ending, of course, with his tragic death and the introduction of a new character, a fellow named Saul, who breathed out murder against the followers of Christ and drug men, women, and children off to prison and punishment. Uh, and then we see a conversion story uh, in the first part of chapter 9. And then Saul goes away, and he's going he's gonna to just be gone for a little while. Later in the, in the book, we'll find some of where he was, and he will speak, that, uh, speak about that. He'll address it. There's a better word. He'll address that in some of his books later. But right now, we have the surprise and sudden return of Peter, who has been a central character in the early part of the book. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. Um, the... The word saint uh, comes from sanctified. It just means those set apart. In early Christianity, and in fact in scripture, the word saint was not reserved for a select group of Christians who had miracles attributed to them, but instead all Christians were called priests and all Christians were called saints because we're not supposed to be like the world. We're set apart from the world to be heaven to the world. And so that's why he, you know, today we'd say he went to see the church. Back then they said he went to see the saints in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who'd been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Again, the word all there. Does that mean 100%? No, it's, it's hyperbole. It's the way we talk. You know, everybody knows it's hyperbole. It just means that there was a, there was a great number who came to faith and made a major impact there. Just a, a quick little story. Now we come to a different kind of story. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. Tabitha and Dorcas are the word for gazelle in two different languages. So, you know, what a pretty name, you know, a gazelle. Well, all right. Who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, we have 
a lot of viewers who are not really yet sold on God or Christ or Scripture. And we respect them, we love them, and we will never, never, never um, talk down to them or make them feel unwelcome. And I'm aware that when you hear this, what you hear is a typical miracle story, a magic story that you can get from all kinds of uh, literature and which none of us take seriously anymore. And I, I grant you, I, I don't take a lot of those stories seriously either, but I do take these seriously. And the reason is for all the evidence bulked up around Christ and Peter and fulfilled prophecy, uh, all of the other writings we have that, that back these up, that there was a remarkable, singular set of circumstances in these first several years after the ascension of Christ, in which these things happened. You will find out later that they stopped happening. There, this got it started, got it moving, got a good firm base of believers going, but the church has never been about healing everybody's diseases and making sure you don't die. That was just to keep the movement pushed out as far as it could go in that first generation. Paul, later, uh, would go from being able to heal people by touching piece, pieces of cloth that were then sent to them to being unable to heal his dearly beloved companion who was right there with him. And he saw no, no desertion of God in that. He, didn't, he wasn't disappointed with God. He understood that the miracles were for this short blast. Now, once again, God can do and God does do what God wants to do. And therefore, yeah, I still believe in miracles but nothing like this kind of action is occurring anywhere in the world as far as I can tell. And so uh, again, this was a very interesting time. And for those that would like to say, well, people back then, they just believed in miracles. No, they didn't. In fact, if you look through, if you read these, you find that many people, when the miracles occurred, decided, all right, that's it, we're, we're killing the guy. Because then not only did they not believe that it was a real miracle, they, because um, they just didn't think it happened. You know, they didn't go around thinking miracles happened, but they also thought, no, this is just disruptive. It's, it's bothering the peace of our people. So um, now these people weren't really gullible people. They didn't fall for everything. So this was, this was amazing. I've heard some lessons on Tabitha and Dorcas, and um, since I've never been a woman, I, I don't know what women's classes have taught over the years, but I, I fear that maybe they've used her as, you need to be so uh, involved in doing so many good works that if you die, the whole church starts to fall apart. You know, women, you, you really don't need any more pressure, do you? I don't think so. You have so much on your plate already. You do so much. You are amazing. You are just phenomenal beings and you are necessary in every aspect of life and from the creation of life to its nurture through you know, through teaching leading all of that so i don't really think we're god's message here is all right step up and be a gazelle for the church no i think this was just a nice tribute to a woman who was able to do this and had done it so well and then peter comes and because the church loves her and needs her so much, and because the church right now, let's be honest, is very fragile. During his time, it's very fragile. A couple of cities turn, a couple of disciples quit, a couple of apostles quit or get killed. 
this thing's over. And so God is pushing it and pushing it out. And so we're like, we're pushing out our safe harbor as far as we can. And we are asking every single one of you to find one more person and get them interested in this and have them watching even better. Have them watch with you in your home, start a house church. Even if you have other churches, you've got all week long. Pick one, two or three of our broadcasts every week and let that be the center of a new faith community. You know, that let's push this out while we can because we don't know how long we will have social media. We don't know how long we'll have anything. So let's push it out, all right? They, they, they're pushing it out here. That said, and I'm not gonna spend much more time on this except for this, as even as a little boy, I wondered how angry Tabitha slash Dorcas was at Peter. I want you to think about it. You live in a grimy, hard world. No antibiotics, no effective painkillers, uh, you know, other than alcohol and you know, not, not much of that. And you don't have um, air conditioning. You don't have modern toiletry. It's a rough world. You've worked your fingers to the bone. You've died and now you're in glory with Jesus. And all of a sudden, um, Jesus goes, well, I'm sorry, but they want you back. <laughs> If I was Dorcas, I think I would have punched Peter right in the nose, but she's she was probably just a, a lot nicer person than me. So, okay, let's move on. Chapter 10, Peter is still the center here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. He, um, a centurion was over a hundred men, and that was a more or less. A centurion could be over as few as 60. After a battle engagement, he might be as few as 20 and then have to re-get his people. And there were times where a centurion would be grabbing control of a couple of others during battle or because of a temporary need. So he could have been over actively at that point, roughly any, anywhere from 60 to 150 people. Today, that would be a um, you know, platoon leader. This could be anything from a sergeant of, of various levels to a lieutenant. So that's, that's who he is. Uh, back then, that was considered an officer. We would today call it, um, generally speaking, a non-commissioned officer, but also commissioned officers take that many people. So he's, he's, he's not super high, but he has some experience. He has some rank. He's due some respect. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. The term God-fearing is not thrown around by Jewish people. God-fearing is reserved for those whose life truly shows that they follow Almighty God. And it was rarely bestowed on those outside. You know, uh, you, Caleb would be one in the Old Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, think of Joseph, uh, Jesus's father. He was known as a righteous man, a God-fearer. There are times that the state of Israel has, has put this title upon people who offered an incredible service to the Jewish people, such as Schindler. Uh, Oscar Schindler was not a good man by any moral equation one could put, except that his conscience was very much uh, pricked at the treatment of the Jews by the Nazis and he saved so many of them. Well, at the same time, carrying on affairs, lying, he, he, there was so much about him to hate, you know, if you're, if you're a judging person. 
but upon his death, they declared him a righteous man, a God-fearer. So Cornelius is well known for his following of God and therefore his good treatment of the Jews, no question. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Think of that. When you support our work, um, because we're also supporting Grace Works, One General Way, a whole bunch of other things, uh, or when you directly support a charity, when you're praying, these come up as a memorial before God. He never misses one of them. He remembers them all. In fact, Jesus said, if you give a cup of water to somebody who needs it, I will never forget it. Think of that. And then read Matthew 25. And the reason people were being brought into heaven is because they gave that water. They gave that food. They gave clothing. They gave shelter. They visited the sick. They visited the prisoners. This is important to God. So important that when he sees this Roman soldier doing this, he's saying, cannot ignore this. We're sending help. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Without last names and street addresses, things were difficult, but they were used to it. Uh, later, our, our jobs, our locations, or our character, or even our face became our last name. You know, my last name, Mead, has actually two meanings. One, it can be a farmer, because Mead means a meadow. But almost certainly in my family's history, it means a brewer of mead, which is a, a honey wine. It's a wine made with honey and other things that people put in it. Uh, you'll, you'll run across mead in things like Beowulf, you know, the mead hall where they get together to get drunk. And that kind of fits my family line a little bit, I guess, through the ages. Uh, and we, we met Jesus, we're better. Anyway, uh, if your last name is Fletcher, once upon a time your people made arrows. You know, you, Tanner, Farmer, we, Pleasant. I mean, you can, you can see how these work. So they didn't have that. So go get Simon, but he's also called Peter, but he's staying in a house of a guy named Salmon, who's a Tanner, and he lives by the sea. Go get him. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. At noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry. By the way, you go up on a roof for privacy, and it's still going to be very noisy. Other people are going to be on tops of roofs near you. Um, back then, most homes had one room. Uh, if it was separated at all, it would be by a low wall or by a curtain uh, hung up, and uh, that was rarer than you might think. So privacy was really difficult. So he goes up to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal, by the way, I love that about Peter, praying to God, you know, I'm really hungry. <laughs> um, I get very, I'm not, I have zero OCD, zero, except when I'm praying and my thoughts was all of a sudden like, and they're off. So I get, I get this with Peter. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
and he saw heaven open, something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely, no, no, surely not, Lord, replied Peter. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The, in other words, the food that was being shown to him, the animals being shown to him, fell in the category of unclean animals. You can find that starting in Leviticus chapter 11. I do a whole couple sermons on that. If you'd like to have me come to your place to do those, meet during the week with your house churches, please let me know. As far as our funds allow us, we send me out. But when our funds don't, I kind of have to bear that on my own or we rely upon the kindness of strangers. But we do try to get out to visit. So if you need me, uh, if you'd like to have an evening with me with your house churches and people around, let me know. Uh, that said, voice spoke to him a second time. Don't call anything I have called impure, that which God has made clean. Now, we, we just do not have a grasp on how shocking and difficult this was. To be a good Jew, you ate kosher. You ate within the rules. There were so many other things you did too, but eating was very, very central here. What you could eat, when you ate, with whom you ate, how you prepared it, how you maintained cleanliness. This was huge. And God knew that it had saved the Jews. He gave it to them to keep them healthy and strong, to bring them up and, and be God's chosen people who bring to us the Messiah. But now this gospel has got to go into places that can't eat like the Jews. It's got to go into places that eat other things because the other things are what is there. It's got to move. And the old rules that kept the faith alive have to be dropped in order that Christ is able to travel to the ends of the earth. There is a lesson there for every church I've ever known and for every Christian I've ever known, including the one that looks back at me from my mirror. Sometimes you have to drop what you think is the will of God, and he may even said it was, but now he is doing a new thing. Let's move at his speed, never outracing, never falling behind, but yoked to him so we go his speed and his direction when the spirit is ready to move. The voice spoke to him, and this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Well, Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, and he isn't thick. He knows what the words mean. But the very concept of God saying, yeah, I did that, that was a rule for well over a thousand years but it is not a rule now. It's gotta be broken now because we have got to go through some walls to get to other people. While he was wondering, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. <coughs> While Peter was still thinking about the vision, how could you not? The spirit said to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, because I've sent them. And by the way, you would have, um, why not, why hesitate? <coughs> Excuse me, once again, if, um, if God, oh, I'm sorry, if people show up and say, hey, we'd like to hear about Jesus, and one of them's a Roman soldier with a sword, 
you might hesitate. Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius, a centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy man, holy angel, told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guest. Uh, why didn't you just take off? Please remember, there was no food on the road. There was no rest on the road. And so when you leave immediately, that doesn't mean like today, hit the car kids. You know, we'll grab food on the way. No, you come in, you rest, you wash, you eat, you get ready, then you take the trip again. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. See, it was quite a journey. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And I love doing this when I travel around and find that the house is full of people that were, have been watching our safe harbor, that are, are friends and they've come together and that now they've got this new thing going. And there might be five and there might be 50, but it's, it's exciting. And you go and you, you walk in, you never know. You never know who you're going to see there, but what, what a blessing it is. Uh, so as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large following of people. And he said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. No, it wasn't. I It wasn't. He might have said it's not customary or it's not normal, but even then, Jews associated with Gentiles, they rarely ate with them, but th there were times. So I don't know what he's doing here. But then he goes, but God's shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Can, can I ask why you sent for me? I think what Peter's doing here is processing out loud. I once had an elder in a church, a dear friend of mine, and I would just be in my office, perhaps sitting at a little table, studying books open like, and he'd be talking as he walked in. And it would be about something and he was on this side of it and he didn't understand and he was going with it and, and I, I rarely got a chance to say things. I would just sit there. Now this could go on for three minutes, but more often it would go up to 10 minutes where he's talking and he's processing and he's talking and he's processing and he worked his way all the way to the other side, found agreement, found peace, thanked me and left. It was remarkable. He had to process out loud. I think what Peter's doing here is processing out loud going, this isn't normal. This isn't the way we, I, in fact, it may be against the law for me to even be here, but God sent me here. So I'm not really, can you tell me why I'm here? That makes sense to me. Well, Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man appeared in shining clothes before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gift to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's, he's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. We already know this. So I sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come. 
yay. Now I, I put the yay in there. It's, it's an inferred yay. Now we are all here in the presence of God and, and listen to, to, I'm sorry, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. In other words, um, God told us to bring you here so you tell me why you're here. <laughs> it's actually pretty amusing, but we don't get the joke because we get way too serious when we open scripture. It's like, all right, okay, no joy now. We're going to heaven where we're going to have no joy forever with each other, I guess. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize, and he's, he's still processing out loud. Listen to this. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. That's a huge jump. And Peter won't always handle this perfectly. Nobody does. Nobody goes from racist or kind of racist or um, racist yet ignorant that they're racist to perfectly not racist overnight. It, it just doesn't happen. Uh, it's a journey. And so he, he's working. He's working. And God picked the right one because he's the one that's going to struggle out loud so the rest of us can hear the internal thought and process. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. The good news of peace. Not the new set of regulations one must obey, but the good news of peace. Please remember that. Interesting how we always skip over that. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, we're all witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, the Jews, in other words, what another nickname for them. Uh, circumcised believers. It's, it's, I'm not sure I have that as my club name. Uh, and we're, we're astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even upon the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Speaking in tongues literally is speaking in other languages. Why is this important? Well, because now this goes from the Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek thing, whatever, it now goes to a worldwide thing because now you can speak in Latin and you can speak in a, we're gonna hit a little button there. All right, I hope that we're still live. We'll check it in a bit. Uh, every so often we get issues. We're having storms today. So I'm hoping this, the recording goes well. All right, you can let me know. Uh, sorry about the picture. This is what I look like um, and can't do anything about that. 
But speaking another language just means now it can go out in Latin, it can go out in Thracian, it can go out in whatever other languages they suddenly knew. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They, they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. These were the first Gentile converts at least that we know of, and we do believe they were the first because of the way this is done with the Holy Spirit, with the vision for Peter. Christians have often defined themselves by what they're not allowed to do and by the people they're not. You know, we don't do that and we don't do that and the world does this, but we don't participate in that. And what happens is that after a while you keep adding things to this and suddenly your religion becomes a lot more narrow and a lot less loving than that of Jesus. Jesus did not die for just one group of people. He died for us all, all colors, all ethnicities, all cultures, all peoples, all times. And Peter was exactly right when he said, God does not play favorites. God does not like white people better than Asian, better than African, better than African-American, better than whatever you know, ad, ad nauseum, just keep going. God does not have a favorite people or a favorite culture or a favorite time or a favorite nation. He had a chosen people and he hasn't unchosen the Jews. He's just now added to that. He's chosen us all. And that's the good news of peace, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Well, this is not going to go over well with some people. We'll talk about that next week. God bless. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And thank you for supporting us at Our Safe Harbor.